You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. so good to be with you. By the time you're listening to this, it's Christmas. We can finally say it. We've been real good saying Happy Advent, Advent greetings, but it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, you guys. It is a season, not just a day. Let's dive in. My guest today to talk all about Christmas, that song that we love, the 12 Days of Christmas song, Why is it so Catholic? What is an octave? Why does it matter that we celebrate Christmas for 12 whole days, in fact? We'll be getting into all of that. My guest to discuss this is our well-known guest, Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. It's good to be here, Tim. I always enjoy being with you, being on the show. It's always a blessing and experience your vibrancy and your passion for all of these things. And it's always, uh, I always feel like God blesses me every time I'm here. Well, a huge thank you as we come to the end of the year for being a regular guest here. For those who haven't heard Dr. Chavez before, his work with men only touches the surface of his expansive background and character formation, helping to really provide a greater understanding to the ideas of virtue, of chastity, of femininity, masculinity. We dive into some really neat topics this year with Dr. Chavez. So be sure to head over to radiotrending.com. You can catch some of the other episodes or if you're listening on Relevant Radio, you could also find us at Relevant Radio as well. Just head over to the show's page. Yeah, and they can always find me at themensacademy.org and um, you know, hook onto my podcasts, and I think you'll find a lot of information. It'll be very helpful in your journey. So let's talk about Christmas. It's finally here. How can we live it better? I have to tell you, there are times when sometimes Christmas happens so fast, we're running from this family member's house to this family member's house, catching up with this relative, rushing because we're not, you know, going to mass, you know, like a normal Sunday mass. We're going to mass with the whole family. So I'm the one who's like, I want to get there two hours early to actually have a seat. Some people are skating in, you know, you do whatever you have to. But a lot of the time, let's be honest, we get distracted from the real reason of Christmas. And this is why I think the church is so incredible and that it recognizes we need a whole season to prepare for Christmas. And then we need a whole season, not just a day at the end of that preparation to just bask in the glory of our Lord and his coming in the incarnation. That's right. Yeah. And so any good uh, event requires much preparation. And when that event is better lived out for some time, um, that we can take the fullness uh, in of that event. So that's definitely the case here of Christmas, because if it's if it's just a one-time day and we'll get in the nature of the season, I think sometimes we look at Christmas so much kind of like that as a, a, a binging of Jesus or something on that day. You know, all the gifts are open, everything's torn up, and the tree's out on the, on the curb the next day on the 26th, and everybody goes into a partial depression, you know? So I, I don't <laughs> think that's the way life is supposed to be, and it's not supposed to be according to what the church wants us for a Christmas season. So I'm 
sure we'll get into that. And people get distracted by the gift side of things yeah. as well. You know, sometimes we think, okay, we reduce it to this. In fact, well, God gave me everything, so I'm going to give everything back. And sometimes to the point of I have no money because I just spent everything on Christmas gifts. And, you know, sometimes it's hard at Christmas. Do you ever feel that pressure where you're like, man, I feel like I have to get a gift for all of these different people. And, you know, you love giving, but at a certain point, I was talking to someone recently. She was putting too much pressure on herself and she was getting depressed leading into Christmas season. And it you know, was beginning to happen in November. And, you know, I said, well, what's going on? She said, there's just so much pressure. And I said, Christmas shouldn't be about the pressure and feeling forced to have to give something. It's about giving what you can give. And I think too, when most of us, you know, we are challenged in some way in Christmas, as you say, the preparation, the meaning, you know, the meaning of certain times and people and all the rest. I think um, a part of the, the whole season too, in preparation and in the celebration after, is to help us grow in these things that we're trying to do, in these engagements, in our gift giving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's every Christmas should be a period of, of further reflection, further growth of where we're at, not worrying that we don't have it all right, mm-hmm. but moving in God, moving in the Father through the Son and just trying to connect to, okay, Father, teach me how can I live through the birth of your Son this year better mm-hmm. and how I can deal with the gift giving. So I think we have to understand it too, is not doing it right. Yeah. But just doing it, walking with God and just trusting in that journey and just surrendering to that and moving forward in peace with that. Yeah. Well, isn't it such a distraction? You know, here we are supposed to be focusing on the coming of Christ as a little child, the incarnation to be the model of all humanity, to accommodate God down to our level, That's to right. give himself to us. And yet we get overwhelmed by the expectations of gifts and family. So whether you're listening to this on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Christmas season, whatever it is, choose now to live the season of Christmas. That's right, which is really to stop what you're doing oftentimes and just um, spend some time alone time. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's gosh, that's the, the beautiful thing about the manger. Boy, talk about a time to be very reflective, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's what makes it so powerful, too, even when it's placed in a church, you know, when we can look at that and just stop and just, just reflect and, and just, just love the Christ child to move us just by his presence right mm-hmm. there. Absolutely. And I mean, even for me, it's so simple during Advent, you know, having, you know, the little manger scene set up, having even the Christmas tree and the lights. If you don't turn on the TV, if you don't sit and look at your phone, you can look at all of these things at Christmas, all the material elements. And why do they make us so joyful? Because they represent something far deeper. But are we pausing to ponder the deeper meaning? And even just looking at the tree, and I love my Christmas tree. And Mm -hmm. I keep thinking about by the cross, Christ has saved us. By one tree we fall and by another tree we live. And just focusing on that for a moment. You know, I think that there are so many moments where we can pause and reflect, even if your Christmas ornaments are from where you've traveled all over the world or what beautiful, cute little creatures you, you know, like to buy from world market to put on your tree, whatever it might be. Why does all of creation stand out to us on our Christmas tree? Yeah. You know, I guess, um, I mean, I think the greatest act in the world that ever happened was the incarnation, but that is made physical at Christmas. And so it's something about the incarnation that stares on us that, that in some way that episode of Christ's birth in some way unites all centuries before and all centuries after. So it's the most uniting event in all of human history. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Please text this episode to a friend. You can head over to iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can even subscribe through Radio.
radiotrending.com through your favorite podcasting app and then share it. Make sure other people really focus. Well, what's the meaning of Christmas? Why do we need to live a whole season? Why should we maybe try to go to mass a little extra during our days off? All of that we're talking about today. Dr. Chavez, what is one of your favorite kind of parts to the Christmas season liturgically? There is something about um, Midnight Mass that does... Going, going at that hour, bringing a certain mystery how Christ transcends time and he transcends even place. But, you know, when we worship him in a time at the end of the day, we're fatigued. But yet, yet at, at one in the morning, we could feel so much more alive than we can at any other time during the year. Mm-hmm. So the times I've been able to either go to mass that, that evening or even early morning seem to be the most profound parts of Christmas. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love in preparing for Christmas as well is we have all the O antiphons uh, leading up starting December 17th, leading into Christmas. Even if you pray the liturgy, the hours, the divine office, uh, you have a lot of these like, oh, wisdom, you know, these phrases that kind of savor and pause for a second. We don't just talk about wisdom. We don't just talk about our savior. We have this moment of, oh, ah, like this, this enamor where we're so amazed by the glory of what's taking place right now in the church. And I think that that's one of the neat moments of the Christmas season is it's not over. We can continue to celebrate Christ's birth. I remember I had a friend in high school and she'd always get annoyed because we'd go after Christmas shopping and I'd be going around telling everyone happy Christmas still or Merry Christmas. And she'd be like, it's not Christmas anymore. And I said, yeah, it is. We're Catholic. She's like, well, everyone else is. I said, so what? They tell me happy Christmas for two months before I can tell them when it's actually the season. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Like you say, yeah, Christmas is something perennial and um, it's something, gosh, we would be great if we could have our hearts every day of the year. But again, it does sum up. There's something about Christmas that sums up everything that was in our past and everything that will be in our future. And there's something about Christmas, too, that celebrates everything about where we stand with our families, Mm -hmm. where we stand in our relationship with one another, and just where we stand in our relationship with God. It's almost as though somehow our relationship with God in some way becomes even a, there's, it might even be a greater dynamic for some people than actually for the Easter period, because mm-hmm. Christmas is something we reckon ourselves as a child, we reckon ourselves in family, and uh, just we, our whole human journey somehow is at the forefront of the Christmas time. Well, and we reflect on all of salvation history. I mean, think about how we start talking about the end times, how we, you know, read the story at the beginning of Mass often, if you re- go to the Christmas Eve Mass, right? We go sure. through Matthew and we go through the whole lineage, mm-hmm. right, of Christ right. through Joseph. And you're reading, you know, some people get annoyed. I think we just read it today as well at Mass. Uh, all of the names of the various ancestors of Jesus. And, you know, it's easy to go, oh, that doesn't matter. But actually, if you know your Bible, you will hear and recognize the various names and the stories sure. that led all the way up to this point of great sinners and incredibly righteous men before him. That's right. And yes, I mean, it is a great thing when we can connect and, and just realize and or rather realize the blessings that we have in those who have proceeded before us. In some way, every day, we should always have a recollection of our ancestors and always pray for those souls, especially for who have not yet entered heaven. But yes, to have a respect and an honor for those who preceded for us somehow, in some way that helps us navigate where we are and helps us navigate for a better future and family relations. We can pause and put ourselves into the story as well. You know, we think of the position of Our Lady, think of the place of St. Joseph. You know, St. Joseph didn't know what he was doing. Imagine he probably had a lot of fear in it entering into this story. 
And you maybe find yourself at a point in your life where you need that guidance. You're afraid. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. Hello, hello. Merry Christmas. It's time to celebrate that season. Go beyond the day, enter into the liturgical year and enter into the season of Christmas. We have the octave of Christmas along with the season of Christmas within the church. So the season of Christmas liturgically lasts 12 days. However, that octave that we have, for example, we used to have more octaves, but right right. now we have... Yeah, we have the Easter octave and we have the Christmas octave. We used to even have an octave um, for the Feast of Our Lady that we just had earlier in December. Remind me. Oh, Immaculate Conception. Yeah, there used to be an octave for the Immaculate Conception as well, which is really neat when you think about that because it's that preparation for Christ during Advent. Uh, But why an octave? We're going to dive into some of these. We'll just start out with today. My guest is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. You can learn more about him and his work at themensacademy.org. Dr. Chavez, how can we better live out this octave of Easter? We've been talking about the season, but we can't forget eight days specifically where we're supposed to treat all eight days as if it was Christmas Day. Exactly. And so, yeah, according to the church, each of those days following, those seven days following Christmas Day inclusive, are supposed to have the same kind of solemnity. And so, it, understandably, Christmas should the, the actual day, the twenty fifth of December, should be highlighted. But the other, the other following seven days, and beautifully ending on January first, we celebrate the Solemnity of Mother God, which is a perfect wrap up to those eight days. Given that there's a certain equality in them, I think it's important we understand Christmas is something which is supposed to be. I'll use the word stretched out a bit, you know. And so, and so we must see that day as really being lived in eight days. You know, it's interesting. My sister. She has eight kids, and um, of all the gifts that are put under the tree, they're divided by eight. Mm-hmm. And so one-eighth of them are open on the 25th. The other, Another eighth of them are open on the 26th, and so on. <laughs> and so that's stretched you out. you fractions. That's right. That's stretched out over that period of eight days. And usually my sister will have a special dessert, so that commemorates each of those days as well. So... But yeah, so so when the the, the family comes around, I mean, it's a, it's a family event right after dinner where gifts are open instead of you know crashing through them all on the twenty fifth, and uh, there's less paper to pick up too each day. You know, but, shucks, I should have told my husband first Christmas. You know, I expect a gift on every single day <laughs> of the octave. <laughs> I remember one year we talked about waiting. My family talked about waiting for Christmas presents until the Epiphany, right, the twelfth day. And I know sure. we talked about it, didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just too tough to wait. Yeah, <laughs> too tough to wait. Um, but you know that this octave season, the season of Christmas, what's so neat is that the church is so psychological. I was reading something about how the eight days make sense because it allows us to prepare and then it allows us to live it rather than just moving on the next day to something else. And so the psychology of the church and recognizing needing to celebrate the glory of God is so important. And I think one example of this is that during all eight days of the octave, you may not know this, but 
If you go to daily mass, the Gloria is omitted during the weekdays unless it's a major solemnity. Sure. But during the octave of Easter and during the octave of Christmas, each of those days we sing the Gloria. And That's it's right. so fitting at Christmas time. You know, it's the hymn of the angels, right? That's Glory right. to God in the highest. And here we are singing this song, praising our Lord. We're reminded of joy. That's right. I think that's a key word here, Timory, is, is joy. You know, part of the Christian, well, excuse me, not part, but I think a constitutive element of the Christian life is to live that in joy. You know, the Catholics were very good at emphasizing the cross and penance and some of the harder parts of preparation. But it, it brings God great glory when we're able to, to experience the joy of those seasons as well. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, even the Blessed Mother, you know, when I think about her too, and we, you know, there's the, the devotion as you, we, we did in another segment, another show, where we talked about, the, you know, her sorrows. And of course, we didn't really get into her joys, but I have a feeling most mothers would want their children to enter more into their joy than into their sorrow. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand how entering into the sorrows and hardships of the cross is perfective in the spiritual life. However, joy also is. And so joy needs to be part of our Christian experience. And I think the father in heaven, like any good father, wants his children to be joyful. Mm-hmm. You know, he, and he wants them to be glad. He wants them to, you know, in joy, it's easier to express thanksgiving. It's somewhat either, t- it's easier to express um, love and relationship. There's so many things in joy which could inculcate a positive development of the human person. And so again, to, to really hold fast to those eight days, especially, I mean, the entire season of Christmas if possible, but certainly those first eight days, we should be conscientious about having some, some things by which we set aside to, to, to experience joy. And, you know, sad to say, most of our Christmas parties are when? Before the 24th, which really is contrary to the spirit of the church, you know, mm-hmm. which really we should be uh, having a Christmas parties post-Christmas, post-25th. And so, in fact, I've been to less than a handful of Christmas parties during the octave. And that would be a great way of honoring God, really, mm-hmm. is to have a Christmas party maybe midway through that octave. I love that. You know, and actually, surprisingly, I, for the first time, I have two Christmas parties that are during the 12 days of Christmas, which is a first time. Oh, you're doing it right. I approve. Let's pause for a second and talk about how important mass is during the octave of Christmas. You know, I already mentioned we get to sing the Gloria but here's the deal. We have some of the coolest saints during that octave of, of Christmas. We have St. Stephen, the very first martyr. We have St. John the Evangelist, who That's wrote right. the fourth book of the gospel, who wrote Revelation and those three letters of John. Uh, we also have the Feast of the Holy Innocents, right? And we yes. have the Feast of the Holy Innocents are all of the babies who were killed by Herod as he sought to kill Christ. That's why Christ and his parents fled to Egypt was to escape the martyrdom of the Holy Innocents. And then we have the Feast of the Holy Family. And there are others as well, but some of these, and they just set out the whole Christian lifestyle. We're called to evangelization like St. John. We're called like St. Stephen to martyrdom. We're called to the innocence of the holy children. And we're called into the mystery of the holy family. Well, that was very profound. Thank you. I'm just going to move by the whole description. Yeah, it, these these are important feasts. You know, I mean, St. Stephen is, uh, all my years in Rome, he's very highly venerated there. Uh, St. John, of course, because he's the real writer on love. You know, he's the doctor of love. And if there's anything we need to listen to more more than not during the Christmas season is, is to his words on love and charity. 
and certainly for those engaged in the pro-life movement, the pro-family movement, and bringing back a society to a healthy understanding and orientation toward the good of the family, the propagation of the family, the Feast of the Holy Innocents and the Holy Family really are paramount in the celebration of that octave. Why also do we celebrate an octave? You're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Part of the reason why we celebrate the octave as well is that eight stands for number of perfection and rest. You know, we say that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. But we in the church believe that the eighth day, we treat Sunday as that eighth day where Christ saves us. He's risen from the dead. And I know sometimes that math doesn't always make sense. You know, when we kind of calculate it out in our head and we talk about it, but it's for us a remembrance of this is the rest. This is the perfection. God goes beyond himself as well. You're going to right. say something. And that, well, that eighth day also is a, is a, uh, a day of renewal or new start. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes, we have those first seven days, seven day God rested. But that eighth day, and there's other earlier episodes too of the Old Testament, which show that that, that eighth day is actually a day of renewal, a day of starting over, a yeah. day of starting again. Well, and a great example of this, when is Jesus circumcised on the eighth That's day, right. right? And you know, okay, this always makes me laugh because my husband is Maronite Catholic, right? So for the last right. three or four years, we always usually end up at the mass for the circumcision of our Lord. And I'll never forget the first time I'm sitting there in the pew and they say, oh, this is the mass of the circumcision of our Lord. And I'm like twitching in the pew, like what? <laughs> Why would we celebrate a whole mass for this? I mean, we Catholics are so bizarre, you guys. Like just appreciate that for a moment. I mean, we're celebrating a feast day of the first martyr of the church. I mean, when you look at some of this stuff, it's so morbid, but it keeps in context, you know, heaven, hell, judgment, death, right. all of these things. You know, we're doing an episode. If you haven't, um, heard on Facebook, it's about to be released on the podcast on the four last things. We've got to think about this. This is why we're celebrating, you know, the octave of Christmas and we're talking about the martyrdom of St. Stephen. That's right. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I was um, awake on a rosary last night of a gentleman who passed away and the deacon who led this, and I don't mean to disparage about him or whatnot, but there was all this talk about the deceased being in heaven and all the rest and not about, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's not proper and it's not fitting, you know, um, yes, an anticipation maybe, but, um, you know, about where this soul, let's, let's offer up our prayers. You know, it's, it's a time of hope. It's a time of enactment of faith, a time of renewal for all of us to examine our own consciences. Where do we stand in our relationship with God? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, while some of these episodes you bring up may be uh, a morbid on one level, they're morbid to face the reality that, hey, we, there's, there's an eternity that, that's awaiting us, and we hope that that eternity eternally be, will be in bliss with united with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And part of that engagement and getting to that place is is penance, is is hard realities of the cross. It's hard realities of self-giving. Uh, and so, yes, even the feast like the circumcision, all the other things by which we celebrate, you know, some of the, the more difficult things. Um, these are the first martyrs, you know, the, 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 the great trials that people went through. These are the things which need to be inculcated in part of our spiritual life. Yeah. And I didn't explain that too. the circumcision, that renewal, that following of the covenant, you know, submitting yourself to the authority of God, the law of God and saying, I belong to God. And we talk about the eight days, the octave of Christmas and Easter. They're a time of renewal. It's a time of conversion. It's time yeah. of doesn't matter what happened to the past. 
go to confession, run there, and start your year anew with that. That's right. And to, and to be mindful, too, that the church also teaches that those are the periods of the greatest grace in the church. So there are the times we can actually reap the most in terms of what God has in store for us. But just in, even in terms of sanctifying an actual grace, that is more abundant during these periods. We'll be coming right back, breaking down the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. It's great to be back with you in the Christmas season. We've been talking about why eight days of Christmas, why the octave, why a season, how can we celebrate it better? If you haven't been with us, please head over either to relevantradio.com or over to Trending with Timory. You can find Trending with Timory at radiotrending.com where we have all the episodes and you can share them and subscribe. My guest today is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. And did you know that the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, you know, we're singing The Twelve Day of Christmas, My True Love Gave to Me, it's Catholic. Did you That's know right. That? Yeah. English Catholic, Anglican Catholic. Yeah, I've heard that for the first time about 10 years ago. So, yeah, it's quite the quite the account. So I remember hearing years ago, I remember um, a friend of mine saying, hey, you know, if we have time, we'll talk about the 12 days of Christmas and what that means for Catholics. And I went, oh, that's cool. I didn't know it was a Catholic thing. And then I never heard it and for years. It had stood out to me. And finally, I said, OK, I want to know what it is. Here's the deal. So between 1558 and 1829, Catholics in England were severely persecuted during that time in fact they couldn't even practice their faith publicly so what the roman catholics did in england is they found a way to practice their faith and teach catechesis and they used code essentially of a song the 12 gifts and so forth sure. to essentially teach the catechism of the catholic church in various ways it's so neat so we're going to break down what those 12 days of christmas mean good let's do it let's go ahead and dive in okay so the first day of christmas so first of all we have to talk about we are singing about how my true love gave me these gifts so the true love ultimately would be christ and so he's the first day right a partridge in the pear tree we know that partridge in the pear tree would be something that would draw predators away from the nest and even be willing to sacrifice its own life in order to protect the young so christ is that partridge in the pear tree Second, we have two turtle doves, easy one for catechesis again, representing the Old and the New Testament. Really cool moment. The third would be the French hens. Those stand for the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. Mm. Any comments or thoughts so far? Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Isn't it so neat? I mean, I'm just looking at these. It's a way to learn your faith. And again, they're using code. So they're using, you know, three, four, all the numbers ultimately represent something. The partridge and the pear tree, I think, is one of the best ones to kind of fit in. But also, I know that the two turtle doves represent the Old and the New Testament. But wasn't it two turtle doves that... Uh, Joseph and Mother Mary gave at the Feast of the Presentation. That's right. Or at least in the, in the purification of Mary, a sacrifice had to be made once a woman gave birth to her firstborn son. And so, yeah, there was a 40-day waiting period, and you either gave a lamb 
and a turtle dove or pigeon, or you gave two turtle doves or two pigeons. And those yeah. who gave the two turtle doves and two pigeons were the poor who could not afford to offer a lamb. I love that. Let's go ahead and dive into the fourth. So four calling birds. This is a cool one, I think. It's a reminder of evangelization. Stand for the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So can you see, you know, here Christianity is being persecuted in England for almost 300 years. They're not allowed to practice their faith publicly. And here the Catholics find a way to joyfully sing their faith, in a sense, a representation of their faith, and they're teaching their children the catechesis and they're preserving the Catholic culture there in England underground. Yeah, it's very beautiful. So the five golden rings stand for the first five books of the Old Testament. So we point to the first five books, right? We're talking about the Torah, which sure. the Jews still live by. Um, the Torah, we have those five books. You know, do you know them? Do you know what they are? Have you read them? I know numbers in Leviticus can be really hard to read. Most of the others are quite a bit easier to read. Right, unless they, you're an architect or something. But that's yeah. true. <laughs> the, other, the other three are a little easier to read. But do we follow those books? books you know we can actually my challenge to you this christmas take your extra time and if you don't have extra time you should take that time at christmas or maybe plan it out already put it on your calendar for next year to take a week two five days maybe the whole octave of easter whatever you can so that you have the time so use this song to catechize yourself so again what are the first five books of the old testament what is the torah we should know these things. So day six, you can get any guesses for this one. I used to know this. No, this is a fun one. And I, <laughs> I had no uh -huh. idea. It's the six days of creation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So God created the, the world in six days. Seven, seven swans swimming represented the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's neat. Again, do you know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are? Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, courage, counsel, piety, fear yeah. of the Lord. Again, this is a really good catechal, catechetical moment for all of us. This is how they preserve the culture. And this is, I think, where I've got to pause, Dr. Travis. I want your sure. thoughts on this one. If this is how, and we'll come back to the other, um, to finish the 12 days of Christmas. If this is how they were catechizing, part of me thinks that they knew their faith better than most of us Catholics do today. That's probably, that's probably right, because these are symbols which we point to a higher reality. And so sometimes when we understand things in light of symbols um, and reminding us of those higher realities, it makes that higher reality even come to life mm. in, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. since, since we have something point, pointing to something else, something literal pointing to something figurative, there is something which accents something in our faith. Yeah, and I think songs like this uh, will point to that. Well, when we take for granted the Eucharist, we take for granted all of, you know, God gave us so many material elements in our faith. I even think about things like the incense, the representation of God's presence with us and literally smelling and breathing in the incense. This is another symbol for God and our culture. Like we get tired, we get bored so easily sometimes. Well, maybe that's because we're not really paying attention to what everything means. Sure. Alongside the Mass, too, you know, I'm thinking that oftentimes I think um, one of the things I've been meditating, especially in the last two years, is that, you know, the figure, you know, though we don't want to call the altar necessarily a table, in some way it, it also is a table, not mm -hmm. in its primary sense, but its, its secondary sense. And where, where the, the, the Father in Heaven wants to gather us around 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so oftentimes the spirit by which I, I approach uh, mass is the father is inviting me to his table. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much a spirit of, well, you know, this is my obligation or this is what I have to, you know, do to, to receive communion. But no, the father invites me to his table and I, mm-hmm. uh, and I want to accept and receive his invitation. I love that. I love that. Again, that Catholic symbolism is so rich if we only knew it. And this is where we have to read. You guys, people say, well, I don't like to read. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. If you don't like to read, get over yourself. Start with some podcasts to gain a better, you know, attention span. But you've got to read. You've got to dive into sacred scripture. Yeah, especially because it's otherwise very hard to grow in the spiritual life without reading. Yeah, it's impossible, and it's hard to keep your interest also in the faith Mm -hmm. without reading. Oh, I agree one hundred percent. And it's not just because I'm a reader, because you guys see me posting about my books. I was at a retreat center last week, and they had just a beautiful collection of Carmelite saints and. The tradition and books and I was like I'm in my happy place I was so happy and some people say that's great I love that I wish I had that you guys I've had to maintain my reading level I have to make sure I'm reading every day even if it's only two pages a day and maybe you need to start with an easier book to work up mm. to the harder stuff you've got to pace yourself don't rush don't try to read Thomas Aquinas tomorrow if you've not that's really right. picked up a book in 10 years that's right and yeah to start with some things that, are, that seem to be of greatest interest first if that's way you can get engaged and reading again. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. We're walking through that song, 12 Days of Christmas. If you didn't catch what the other 12 days stood for, again, they're actually catechesis that was used in England for the Catholics who were not allowed to practice their faith openly for almost 300 years. And so there's a symbol for each one of these. So we're coming back to now the eight, the eight maids of milking. These stand for the eight Beatitudes. Again, do we have the Beatitudes memorized? I think Father Tim and I were talking on the show just a couple weeks ago. We were saying, memorize, pray the Beatitudes. That way you can be in the grocery store and be meditating on the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, the meek, right? The being persecuted. It's going to put context and joy into our lives. That's right. And to understand that in all those things, yes, that there is merit. So nothing is wasted on this earth. And the Mm -hmm. spirit of the Beatitudes... Yeah, every episode and every circumstance of our life mm-hmm. usually can find itself in one of those eight Beatitudes. And to know that in every circumstance of life, in the spirit of the Beatitudes, there's there's grace, there's benefit, there's, there's glory in God to be found. Mm-hmm. Here's the next one that's a little more creative. It's the nine ladies dancing. So, test question for anyone listening. Take a moment to think about this. How many fruits of the Holy Spirit are there? We already did the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. How many fruits? Well, you're right. Nine does not represent their 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. And so what they did to be kind of creative to put this one in, there are three of them that are very similar And so they kind of tried to narrow it down to make it a little easier since there were so many of them. And so they combined them. So we have charity, joy, peace, patience. They also added forbearance into the area of patience, goodness and kindness. They added together mildness, fidelity, modesty, and then they added continency and chastity together. You know, and I think that they did a good job of narrowing it down. But do we know what the fruits of the Holy Spirit are? Because on a natural level, we can seek after these fruits of the Holy Spirit at the same time as praying for these fruits to be part of our life. Sure. And and I think remembering, too, that, um, you know, Timur, I think it's important to understand that 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 which flows from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes from the love of the Father and the Son. 
And I find sometimes that in, in the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit that if there's not a, a foundation of really engaging that love of Father and the Son, the Spirit really doesn't come forth in the efficacy that it was meant to. Mm-hmm. And so I think we must always understand that as that person flows from love of the Father and the Son, ours is to engage first and foremost in that love to be incorporated as we take the identity of the Son moving in the Father. And the closer we can get to that relationship, the closer then we can experience the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. Amen. Let's finish these last two. The 11 pipers piping stood for the 11 faithful apostles. Because remember, Judas ends up abandoning Christ. And finally, the 12 drummers drumming, and I need to work on this one, symbolize the 12 points of belief in the apostolic creed. So a question for you, do you know exactly what all 12 of those points are? I know I can recite the creed, but do I know, could I, I could probably pick up, yeah, itemize them out. So we'll be back on Trending with Dr. Philip Chavez, and we're going to be diving a little bit more into how we can better live this Christmas season. Don't go away, and if you can't stay with us, head over to radiotrending.com. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We're back on Trending. We're going to be talking about how to better live the Christmas season with Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. First, a message about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctors that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology, and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Dr. Chavez, when we were talking about a Christmas-themed episode, Mm. I loved your idea, and I can't wait to unpack this more. You said you wanted to talk about the mystery of the presentation of Christ in the temple. Yeah, there is something about that mystery, I think, that that's an important part of our Christian life. You know, it's on October, excuse me, February 2nd, which is otherwise used to be traditionally called Candlemas Day. Christ, who what is, is the, it again? Candlemas Day, February Candlemas. 2nd. There's in some way we celebrate a twin feast, the feast of, of the purification of the Blessed Mother. At the same mm-hmm. time, the feast, of the presentation of our Lord, in the temple. And it's where, in ultimately, I think, both the Blessed Mother and her son in some way are making a united offering together and an ultimate uh, sacrifice uh, that they're sharing together. So that's what's the beautiful thing about that feast. And, of course, more and more, I'm coming to appreciate the role of the Blessed Mother and being united with the role of her son mm-hmm. and how the two are, you know, I won't say like husband and wife, but they, they share kind of a, of, a, of a mystical kind of union between the two that makes our salvation and makes the fruits of salvation possible. And so over the Feast of the Purification, you know, it was thought that, that when a woman had her firstborn son, and it said that the first eight days were considered a time where she was uh, unclean. And then she was to wait another 33 days, three plus 30, for another time of purification. Then, then at the end of those 40 days, she was presented in the temple. And during that time of that presentation in the temple with her son, she had to either sacrifice, we mentioned before, either or present for sacrifice a lamb and a turtle dove or pigeon, 
or two turtle doves or two pigeons if you were poor. In fact, I, have, I've, I had a beautiful old print, I think it gave it away, where the Blessed Mother was pondering and she had two pigeons over her two breasts, kind of pondering, mm-hmm. you know, the sacrifice she was to make for her son. Powerful, powerful image. It's too bad I never took a scan or a photograph of that. But at the same time, the son also is being offered in the temple. And so, you know, and this is where, too, at, at that 40 days, too, in, in that event, you know, Simeon has his forecast, his great prophecy about the Blessed Mother. And also Anna the prophetess also, she forecasts also her, her uh, prophecy as well. But ultimately, Mary offers her son to God. And I think in that episode, there becomes, though she already knew it, there becomes a deep, deeper awakening of sharing in the redemptive mission of Jesus Christ himself. And so this is why that becomes so important, because we, too, are called to share in his redemptive mission. I mean, it's, it's the Christian calling through which we become other Christ. We mm-hmm. take on his identity. And the mission that he lived on earth, this is one way he, he still lives on earth today. In other words, he lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago. But he lives to us today, not just in the Eucharist, but he lives today in all of us, you know, mm-hmm. who bear out his mysteries. And so we, too, are incorporated in his redemptive mission. And, and that, that feast, then, of the purification of, of, of Mary and the and, um, presentation of Jesus becomes a kind of a united reality of a self-giving through which she represents the church, through which all, all of us are supposed to do, and in offering ourselves in union with that identity and that person of Christ and sacrifice. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I love this because we're talking about it in light of Christmas because it's the birth of the child. It's the presentation of that child. It's a huge symbol of the significance of Christ's whole life. And I do have to add, pause for a second. I kind of thought you might be teasing me a little bit here when you said you wanted to talk about this because this feast day is very, very special to me because it's the day I got married. That's why I chose the feast day as well. That's right. Yes. Um, It was a really, I think that kind of adding a little perspective for me to this feast day, it was important to me that I was able to get married on a feast day of the church and, you know, picking a Saturday or a Friday during the year isn't always easy to match up what feast days you want. Uh, But it landed on a Saturday this year and it was a really neat opportunity, both from the presentation of Christ and from the purification perspective of Our Lady. And I keep thinking about Our Lady in her submission to the will of God. And I think about, you know, we talk in marriage about that mutual submission, but also the wife being under the mission of the husband in particular, and that his mission is supposed to be the mission of Christ for the church and laying down his life. All of that is so fundamental I think that the whole day, the mystery, which is, you know, a mystery of the joyful mysteries of the rosary is an opportunity again for us to not just read the story, not just to meditate upon it, but to live it. That's right. And that living comes in a kind of self-sacrifice. Yeah. You know, it's imagine. Well, of course, the, that episode, too, it also foreshadows baptism, right? Yes. And offering our children to God through the identity in Christ, which mm-hmm. they take on in baptism. I think it's very important, too, that parents must remember when they do have children and present them to God in baptism. It's just not for the sake that the child just goes to heaven someday, but that that child is going to now walk in the identity of Christ, but also walk in the journey of Christ. And so the more parents can can receive and embrace the fact that their child moves in that mystery of Christ will be his sufferings and joys, 
the more easily they can learn to surrender that child and not be so caught up in the sorrows of the child and hold them, you know, as if they own them themselves or, you know, we're supposed to relinquish our children in the idea of Christ who suffered much. And I think that can bring much freedom to a parent who sometimes takes on the burdens of the child in their own sufferings. No, we're supposed to release them um, in God through Christ, that they now take on the image of Christ and they will take on his suffering. And I believe in the old right. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong here. But I think that at the baptism um, of a child in the old right, it used to be that the child was usually placed on a side altar as well. And also that part, I might be wrong, but also there's uh, there are special prayers that are usually prayed over the mother, similar to the idea of the purification of Our Lady. That's in the old right of the church. I think that's right. Yeah, it just a kind of neat little moments. But also we talked about the prophecy of Simeon. This is part of the feast of the presentation and takes place at the purification. If you pray the liturgy of the hours, when we pray vespers, when we pray night prayer, we pray these words from St. Luke's gospel over and over again each each night. Um, now you let your servant go in peace. This is what see, Simeon is saying when he sees our Lord and our lady, he goes, OK, I've been here waiting all this time. You can let me go in peace. And why? He said, because your word has been fulfilled. And he see, says, my own eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And I think there are three parts of that. The peace and just trusting and knowing that God has fulfilled everything he's been leading up to in the Old Testament. That the words has, have been fulfilled in God. That's right. But then also why? Now I've seen the salvation of the Lord. The salvation is the Lord's, not mine, not yours. It's what the Lord does, and he does it through that child. That's right. And what, what that child accomplishes during uh, Jesus Christ accomplishes during his entire life. Because old time, you know, really is summed up in, in the life of Jesus Christ, you know, and, and all, you know, that, that redemption, that, that all, the, all those centuries of the Old Testament that were you know, of, of really human existence find their culmination in that act and of course we follow that act in this 20 centuries that we've we've now uh, uh, finished they're all summarized in jesus christ it's all hinged on him amen and what else stands out to you about this feast day? And for those who are just listening, you're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Dr. Philip Chavez. And this is a whole episode on the theme of Christmas. And we're talking about the feast of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Well, I think I think it just uh, the ongoing lesson that in the Christian journey, every day should be a renewal of that offering of sacrifice, the renewal of walking in the journey of Jesus Christ. But again, as I mentioned once before, another episode, Timory, I, I think it's very, very important that when we look at living as a Christian, living in the life of Christ, isn't so much that we just uh, find ourselves in in one sacrifice after the other, or one offering after the other, but we, we find ourselves in the person of Christ. And if we know we're moving in Jesus Christ, come what may, that's that's really our anchoring point. Knowing that in his journey will be suffering, but in his journey will also be joy. And I think like a good father wants his son to understand and train him Son, there are sufferings in life. He'd say this to a daughter, too, of course. But, son, I also want you to have the joys. In other words, I want you to have my son. I want you to live in him. I think this is what the Heavenly Father says. So remember, the more we can make this journey in Christ and his sufferings very personal and in the person and through and with the person, Jesus Christ, the more we could find a real anchor for navigating uh, whatever happens in our lives. Well, and isn't this really the whole focus of Christmas? Delight in the Lord delight in the season, but even beyond Christmas, beyond the Christmassy music, beyond the lights, 
beyond all of the vacation time and the family, we're called to delight in the Lord always, to rejoice in that's the right. Lord. And that's what the angel says. I bring you tidings of great joy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the joy should be a constitutive part of the Christian journey. And uh, I have a, I have a evangelical friend. He says, you know, if we're not experiencing joy, then we haven't really discerned the good tidings. Mm-hmm. In other words, knowing the, the good news, the good tidings, that of itself should bring a joyful element into our lives. Where, where the faith and all that Christ accomplished, all that he's done for us, all that he's offered for us, all that he has awaiting for us should bring joy in and through our lives. And if you didn't listen to our Advent series, it doesn't have to be Advent to listen. One of the themes is week three, Gaudate Sunday, joy. And we talk actually surprisingly a lot about joy and suffering. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Chavez of the Men's Academy. You can learn more about him and his work at themensacademy.org. Again, that's the mensacademy.org. If you'd like to share this episode or listen to more and subscribe, you can head over to radiotrending.com. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 